Welcome back to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogers, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're continuing our series, Masterclass, where we're considering how we can apply the stories of Jesus' earthly ministry to our own lives. As we head into chapter three of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see what it means to be a part of the family of believers. Following Jesus brings unity among God's people. So let's listen in now and hear more about Jesus' teachings. Good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. What a great morning of worship already. Wow, being in the Lord's presence. I am so thankful that you're here today. Welcome, everybody, here at our Franklin campus. Welcome, everybody, who's joining in on our online campus. Welcome, and I hope and pray God will speak to you today. And as it's been said, happy Mother's Day to all the moms here. We are so thankful for you. Let's give the moms a hand. You guys are awesome. And the sacrifice you make for all of us, and we just want to celebrate you today. And so we all have a mom, so I hope and pray you'll text, encourage them, uh, just bless them today somehow, some way. I'm so thankful for my mom. I'm so thankful for my wife, who's an incredible mom, and I just love her, and I'm so thankful for them today, and I'm so thankful for you. And also, welcome back. We're in this great series called Masterclass, and so we are walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we're just going chapter by chapter, and we're kind of doing a deep dive and saying, hey, what's God saying to us? You know, how do we live as disciples today of Jesus. And so we've been in Mark 1 and Mark 2 and Pastor Jacob and Pastor Mike have been talking about Jesus' ministry up until this point. And what we see here in Mark, so we have these four gospels, right? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about Jesus. And it's Matthew and Luke that give you the birth narrative. So every Christmas we kind of alternate, you know, Matthew, then Luke, Matthew and Luke, because that's where you get the birth narrative, right? John goes to the spiritual side, and when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, so Jesus being the Word, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament coming in Jesus. But it's Mark who just kind of starts off with Jesus' earthly ministry. It's like he's 30 years old, and it's like, here's John the Baptist who's preparing the way, and then Jesus starts out, and he's doing these miracles, and he's teaching, and Last week, Pastor Mike was talking about just the authority with which Jesus taught, you know? And there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And God wants us to live with wisdom and that we have that opportunity to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now we're starting to see as we move into chapter three, all these crowds starting to follow Jesus. Everybody's hearing about Jesus and they're coming from all over. Now, I don't know if you've ever been like in a massive crowd I mean, like, it, like, like where there's so many people and they're pressing up against you kind of thing, right? Uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. And, and I remember one year the final four was in San Antonio. And if you've ever been to San Antonio, there's a big river walk that goes down. It's really cool, cool town. So you gotta go sometime, but, but a great Mexican food, by the way. Uh, but anyway, so you're going down and, and the final four is like the top four college basketball teams. And, and so everybody's there and people are all I mean, decked out. You got fans that travel from everywhere to come to the final four and the ESPN was set up on the river walk. And so we were down there and the crowds were so massive that like people are falling in the river. 
I mean, they're like pushing people off. And, then, and we were just like, whoa. I mean, like people are in the river trying to get out, you know. I, I mean, I was like, this is crazy. It's crazy. We'll just kind of picture that scene because that's what you're going to kind of feel as we move into Mark chapter 3 today. Crowds everywhere, people everywhere coming to hear Jesus. Now, here's the cool thing. Jesus looks into the crowd and he sees individuals. He doesn't just see crowds, he sees individuals. And he looks in and sees hearts and he sees lives. See, sometimes maybe you feel kind of like you're lost in the crowd. Maybe you kind of feel like that life, kind of like, man, there's a big crowd out there and a big world out there. And what about me? But I want to tell you this, that God sees you. God sees you. And he cares about you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your life. And he loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he calls you by name. And he says, come follow me. Because I've got an incredible plan for your life. So if you have a Bible, let's get to work. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you don't have one, there's some Bibles in the back. Met a guy recently who said, hey, I got my first Bible at church. I went back there, got a Bible and started reading. It's awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, so he was so excited. And uh, so, man, they're free back there at the back. If you're online, you go to the Rolling Hills app. and We've got the scripture there for you as well if you have a mobile device. But Mark chapter 3, New Testament. Here we go. It says another time Jesus went into the synagogue. Okay, so when it says another time, he's going back into chapter 2. And there's a couple of incidences that happen there where the religious leaders, okay, these religious leaders of the day, you got Pharisees, you got Sadducees, these religious leaders, and they start to question Jesus. And they're coming at Jesus with these different questions. And so here they are kind of looking at Jesus, judging Jesus, right? And so Jesus goes into the synagogue, and the synagogue is a place of worship for the Jews. So every town or community would have a synagogue, like a church for us, right? So the Jews would go there on Sabbath to worship. So they goes into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they're not there to worship God. They're there to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. So you got these religious leaders that are there just kind of checking Jesus out, right? They're kind of going, okay, we're going to see what he does. Now the Sabbath, Shabbat, right? If you go back to the Ten Commandments, God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And, and so the Jews had Sabbath. Now their Shabbat, their Sabbath was on Saturday. As Christians, we've moved to Sunday. Why? Because of the resurrection, right? Early on the first day of the week. So, so here we are, we celebrate Sabbath. But God said, take a day, have a Sabbath where you worship me, you redirect your priorities, you get busy doing life and your job and family, all these things. Hey, just focus on me, have a time to rest as well. And so Sabbath has always been important to God. Well, the religious leaders came in and said, I don't know if you guys really understand that and if you're going to do that. So we're going to give you some rules to follow, okay? So they came out with the mission of all these rules that they have for the Sabbath. Like you couldn't walk a certain distance because, I mean, if you go too far, that's work and you might sweat and that's doing work on the Sabbath. So that's not keeping it holy, right? Or, you know, if you carry too much and they had all these things. And Jesus is like, what? You no, know, like I said, do you remember the Sabbath that keep it holy, a day of worship, but you're You've kind of changed the whole deal. So Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So he'd be like here, right? He's like, hey, God, come, come here, come here. come here. Stand up in front of everyone right here. And then Jesus asked them, so he's asking these religious leaders that are there to accuse him, right? He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? 
It's like, what do you think God meant by the Sabbath, right? He's wanting to heal people, restore people. But they remained silent. They didn't say anything. He looked around at them in anger. Isn't that interesting? You know, Jesus got angry, right? The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. There's times we're going to get angry. Jesus got angry at injustice. Jesus got angry when people were abusing the things of God. So he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. Why? At their stubborn hearts. They were hard-hearted toward the things of God. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. I mean, now that would be pretty cool, right? I mean, like you're at church, and that guy just like stretches out his hand, and you knew this guy because you've been at the synagogue with him, and you just see that. And you would think, man, everybody's just rejoicing and celebrating. But look at these Pharisees, these religious leaders. They went out, and they began to plot with the Herodians about how they might kill Jesus. What? Why are they not celebrating with this guy whose life's been changed? No, they're out there thinking, oh man, what is this Jesus doing? Now look, here come the crowds. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. Now the lake, that is the Lake of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. So it's a huge lake, right? It's up from north from Jerusalem. And you've got about a 14 mile long, seven miles wide. A lot of the fishermen come around this region. This is where Jesus does a lot of his ministry. And when they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and the regions around Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. So Jesus is teaching and there's more people coming and more people coming. He's like backing up, backing up, right? And here's the water. He's like, hey guys, get a boat, you know? And I'll teach from the boat, right? So he's standing there teaching, but that's how many people were there. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So now you're starting to see this spiritual warfare coming about. You know, when you're in the Old Testament, you don't see as much about, you know, demons and impure spirits. And, but now when Jesus walks on the scene, all of a sudden you can see this spiritual warfare amping up. Right? It's going to climax there at the cross. You know, here you got good versus evil. And, and, and their impure spirits are calling out, you're the son of God, right? The Bible says, do you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. I mean, you know, I mean, like everybody at some point is going to believe in God, right? It says there's no atheists in foxholes, you know? I mean, at some point you realize he's God, I'm not. And so you got these impure spirits that are calling this out. He's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, why does he tell them to be silent? Because his time's not yet come, right? It's all leading up to the cross. It's all going to lead up to the resurrection and what he's doing. But Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So he looks at the crowd and he's like, hey, come follow me, come follow me. And there's these 12 disciples that step up and step out. These 12 disciples that say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And these guys, man, these are kind of some rough and tough guys, okay? I mean, these are fishermen guys. He's not calling the religious leaders. He's not calling the ones who went to seminary, you know. He's calling guys who are willing to follow him. And he gives us the list of these disciples. Now, the list of disciples is in four places. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, not John, but then in Acts, comes back. 
And they always start, when they list the disciples with this first guy, it says, these are the 12 he appointed, Simon. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, I love that he starts with Peter. Because Peter to me is, is a guy we can kind of all identify with, right? Peter was impetuous. He, he was always wanting to do the right thing, but he would mess up sometimes. He would make mistakes. He would say some things. And, and we're like, I'm with you, buddy. You know, I'm, you know, like right there, right? Remember when Jesus calls him and he, he gets out of the boat and he like walks on water and you're thinking, yeah. And then he sees the wind and the waves and he starts to sink and he stretches out his hand and Jesus saves him. And you're like, yeah, that would have been me. I would have been bold, hopefully bold enough to get out of the boat. But I don't know, I'd start looking at the distractions and you know, you can kind of see your life identified. But here's Peter and Peter, you know, he was a husband. I mean, this guy, he was a man, he was a, a fisherman, he was tough, but he calls Peter. Hey, Peter, come follow me. And then James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John. And these two guys are always listed next. And, and these guys were close to Jesus, but James and John, they were also, you can see, called sons of thunder. I think these guys were pretty tough, okay? I know they might have said anger issues, you know? I mean, like, you know, they were just kind of get upset sometimes. And maybe they said some choice words, who knows? Uh, they were fishermen, they probably did, you know? But it was just like, that's who he called. He called these guys, these sons of thunder. And then he goes on to list these other guys. And it says Andrew. And Andrew was Peter's brother. He's the one who met Jesus first and said to his brother, hey, come, meet the one, man. I want you to see this. And then you got Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew. Remember Matthew? He was a tax collector. And Jesus said, hey, come follow me. He leaves his tax collecting business to follow Jesus, right? I mean, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow. Thomas, we call him doubting Thomas sometimes, but actually he was pretty faithful. I mean, he was like with Jesus, stayed with him. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then always mentioned last in every account, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And Judas, who was probably the money keeper for the group, he fell more in love with money than he did with Jesus. He ends up betraying Jesus, right? 30 pieces of silver, sells him out. And yet he's listed right there. Well, it says, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered. So Jesus comes down off the mountain after calling these disciples out of the crowd. He comes back down, he goes into this house and the crowd just wells up, man. I mean, they're just coming from everywhere. And so much so that his disciples were not even able to eat. And the disciples were like, really dudes? We're hungry, you know, like we get hangry, you know? And they can't even eat because there's so many people around. Well, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. Jesus is like, what? No, come on. So Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables. Now this is a way Jesus starts to teach. And we're gonna see this next week in Mark chapter four. There's an incredible parable, but a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus begins to teach this way and people get this insight where they go, ah, I get it. You know, when they learn something, they start to and, you know, have that indwell in them. They're like, oh, I get that truth. I get that truth. So he's teaching in these parables. And he says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. He's like, come on, guys, think about this. This isn't Satan trying to drive out Satan. This is good versus evil, right? This is God versus Satan. And if Satan opposes himself, he is divided. He cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. 
And now here, verse 28, this is important, right? 28 and 29, he says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. What's he talking about? Well, this is the unpardonable sin, okay? And when you're saying, well, what is that? Well, we're gonna unpack that in a minute because this is really important. And then he comes back and he says this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent one to call him. All right, so Jesus' family shows up. Now, you're saying, well, where's Jesus' earthly dad? Joseph, right? Most biblical scholars believe that Joseph has passed away by this time. Jesus is 30. He was the oldest, right? He had these half-brothers, half-sisters, because, you know, he's the son of God, right? You got Mary, the mother. But, you know, James and Jude, these others, didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah yet. Now they will, right? After the resurrection, James writes the book of James. I mean, he becomes a leader in the early church. So all of them do. Mary, you know, is on fire for Jesus, right? Becomes a leader in the early church. But at this point, they're trying to figure it all out. And many people believe that Jesus waited till he was 30 to begin his earthly ministry because as the oldest son, he had a responsibility to take care of everybody. So he did that. And now all these crowds are around and they're like, Jesus, what's going on? All these people are around you and they're coming to find out. And they send this word to call to him and a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now Jesus will take care of his family, but what Jesus is showing us is there is a spiritual family now that is bigger than what God was doing right there. God was not just a family of origin. God was creating a family of believers that would impact the world. God was taking this crowd and turning them into disciples that would change hearts and lives forever by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is fun. Okay, we're gonna unpack this because there's a lot of truth here, a lot of meat here to dig into. So if you've got a worship guide, I'd love if you wanna take some notes today. If you're online, you can go to the Rolling Hills app. There's some blanks to fill in. But I want you to see these things today as we study on this master class. Number one, people matter to Jesus. People matter to Jesus, okay? It wasn't that Jesus just came to give lectures. It wasn't Jesus just came to do a few things. People matter to Jesus. Jesus came to give his life for people. He looked around at them, and that's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, in anger. He was frustrated with them and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. See, Jesus doesn't just look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart, right? He looks at what's going on inside. He knows our thoughts. Jesus becomes angry when people put up barriers to God. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. They were putting up barriers. Remember when Jesus went to the temple one time and they had money changers and they were making these barriers to get to worship that you had to have, you know, the, the right lamb and maybe they had blemish so you could buy one for 1995, you know? And they're like, stop. He overturns the tables and like, you need to come and let people worship. God loves people. I remember when we first went on our, our mission trip to Moldova. This was 2003. And uh, that was, you know, I didn't even know where Moldova was, but I knew God was calling us to go there. Now we all know, right, right next to Ukraine and so many Ukrainian refugees. And we've been working there for, for 20 years now in Moldova. We have 40 people working there with 1,000 plus kids and four transitional homes. And 
We've been praying and, and serving there for a long time. But I remember the first mission trip that we went on and we were working in these state-run orphanages. And, and on Sunday, we took a bunch of the orphan kids to a church. And it was a big church in, in downtown Kishnell. But it was really, you know, traditional, real proper. And, and so we came in, we had about 15 orphan kids with us from the orphanage. And, and we came in and one of the ushers said, um, the orphan kids need to go upstairs. I was like, what? They, yeah, the, the orphan kids, they can go upstairs. And I was like, okay, look like plenty of room down there, but okay, you know. And they were like, no, you guys can come down here. We want you guys because y'all from America. We want you guys to come here. And, and I was just like, no, we're good. I mean, that's all right. You know, we'll, we'll go upstairs and we'll just sit here. And, and I don't know, maybe everybody had a reserve pew. I don't know what was going on or it was, it was a special day or something. But, but it just kind of caught me like, hey, wait a minute. Well, why are we making distinctions? And we do that here in America too, right, sometimes. And you, you got to go, what? hold on, hold on, hold on. There should not be barriers that we create for people to come to God. That's what Jesus did. He was coming down to tear down those barriers. You know, the, the huge curtain, right? He rips it from top to bottom, right, between the holy of holies. See, Jesus values people over rules. And sometimes we get caught up in those rules and those rituals. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where it was like, man, I got to keep the rules and I got to keep this checklist and I got to be good enough and, and, and maybe God will hear me. I got to memorize this prayer and if I don't say it right, then I'm going to get in trouble. And it was like, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. You can speak freely to God. You can communicate your heart to God. God wants to hear. God cares about you. And I think it's powerful that God calls these men to be disciples, it wasn't the religious leaders, it was these fishermen, it was these ordinary guys, ordinary people, man. They didn't have special Bible training, Torah training, right? They, they just, man, they knew that God was doing something and they wanted to follow Jesus. And they followed. And I think God's calling every person, every person, inviting you, inviting me into this relationship with him. And it's not that we get our lives cleaned up and then come to God, right? We come to God and then he cleans us up. And we come to God and we see what he wants to do in our hearts, in our lives. Here's the thing, right? We are called to love all people. We're called to love people. And as a disciple of Christ, you ought to be growing in your love. I ought to be growing in my love. And, and sometimes maybe you walk along and you see somebody, you're like, oh, I don't know, man, they, they look like they're going through a hard time or something. Yeah, if they are, God loves them. And God cares about them. God loves all people. You know, James and John, those sons of thunder, you may remember there was a time when later on they'll be walking through Samaria and the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus stay there. He's like, no, move on, you're Jewish. And James and John are like, hey Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on this village? Take it out right now, you know, like, <laughs> let's just take care of this, right? Jesus is like, dude, what are you talking about? No, that's not what we want to do. We want to love them, right? We want to love them. Later on, John will write 1 John, and it's all about love. It's just all about love, man. Love people, love people. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. He takes us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He changes our hearts and our lives, and he molds us and shapes us to be disciples. Hey, crowds followed Jesus. Crowds followed Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. So Jesus' popularity is off the chart by now. I mean, he, I mean people are coming from all over. Now, there will always be crowds when it comes to Jesus. He is compelling. I mean, you got to think about miracles happening, the teaching that's happening. 
You know, I was walking through Publix the other day and, and you hear all the magazine racks, you know, and on the cover, there's Jesus, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, people still want to know. Who is this one who changed the world, right? He was this carpenter who only lived 33 years on this earth, right? Homeless and changed the entire world, right? People want to know. Jesus is compelling. See, even when it seems like culture is changing, there is always a desire to see Jesus. And we have this time right now where people are like, well, I don't know, you know, church attendance is falling and, and the rise of the nuns, people who don't have any faith, and you're going, well, I'll just tell you, I mean, I've watched every generation. I mean, you can go back through history. There'll be, you know, cyclical times, but everybody knows at some point there's gonna be a need for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, every culture knows, man, I'm gonna have a need for Jesus. Every civilization that's ever existed has had some form of worship. And we can think, man, I'm the only believer at my work. I'm the only believer at my school. I don't know if I can say something. I may lose my job if I tell them I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. That's a lie of Satan. People want to know. People want to hear. Because we get to the end of our lives, we're just like, hey, I'm at the end of my rope and I don't have anything else. And that's where Jesus steps in and changes hearts and lives. So don't ever feel like, hey, I'm alone. No, people want to know about Jesus. But know this, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and following Jesus as a disciple. Jesus wasn't just interested in getting more followers on Instagram, right? Or more likes. Or Jesus loved the crowd, but he was calling disciples. He was calling people. He was saying, come follow me. Put your faith and your trust in me. Have eternal life through me. I'm not just a show that you show up every now and then, right? And just go, yeah, that was great. That's cool. Then I'll go back and live however I want to live. No, it's discipleship. If you keep going, you can read more and then Jesus will start this teaching kind of amps up here. If you go in the gospel of John, Jesus is teaching and this whole crowd's there and Jesus starts saying some things like, hey, it's time to follow, right? You know, to lay down your life and to, and to live for the things of God. And, and the crowd was getting restless, you know? And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, kind of interesting, right? 666, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you can go read it later. But it says, at that point on, many in the crowd stopped following Jesus and turned around and left. And Jesus looks at his disciples, he goes, hey guys, you wanna leave me too? And Peter's like, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. He's like, oh yeah, you just watch what I'm gonna do and what I'm gonna do through you. See, Jesus loved the crowds, he loved, but he loved the individuals and he calls us. Hey, the only unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is so important for us to know because there's sometimes people will come and, they'll, and they're so well-meaning and they're just like upset. They're like, I don't know, I did this sin and I just wonder, is that the unpardonable sin? I mean, am I gonna go to hell because I, I did this? Uh, no, here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Well, what is that? Well, here it is. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior when the Holy Spirit invites you. That's it, right there. So here's how it works, right? You, you can become a church and God's been speaking to you about putting your faith and your trust in Him. And you just kind of go, no, maybe later. No, maybe some other time I'll give my life to Christ. If people are talking to you about it. You know, you've got people praying for you. You're like, no, no. And pretty soon your heart gets hard to the things of God. And you never accept Christ. Even though God's been drawing you to himself over and over, 
That's it. It's a commitment to Christ. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. It's about putting your faith and your trust in him. That's it. See, you can be forgiven for every other sin. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. You are forgiven when you are in Christ, but not putting your faith and your trust in Christ, putting your faith and your trust in yourself, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? That I'm gonna live for myself, I'm gonna live for the things of this world and not for the things of God. And that's what we have to keep coming back to. But every other sin, if you are a Christ follower, here's the great news today. You're a Christ follower, your eternity is secure. If you've given your heart and your life to Christ, it doesn't matter. You make a mistake, you mess up. It's okay. God will forgive. He'll redeem and restore. Now, when you're in Christ, you're going to want to pursue Christ and you want to grow in Christ. But man, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's good news today. Praise God for that truth. See, what happens though sometimes is maybe you grew up in a religious tradition that would say, well, you know, you did this sin and, you know, that's pretty bad. And, you know, there's even religious traditions that would say, well, they're like, like suicide. And if you know somebody who committed suicide, then they're separated from God because you know what? They didn't have a chance to confess that sin. But I wanna tell you, suicide is not at the heart of God at all. I mean, that's putting yourself in the place of God, right? And God loves you so much. And I wanna tell you, man, if you're going through a tough time, there's always hope when you're in Christ. And God's got a bigger plan and God's got a bigger purpose. But if you know somebody in your family or a friend or somebody else, and they've done that, I wanna tell you, if they have been in Christ and they were a believer in Jesus, they're gonna be in heaven. And if somebody comes and tells you they're not, they're wrong. I'm gonna just tell you it's about Christ and Christ alone. And that is what is so important for us to know and to live and to not live with fear and to not live thinking we're gonna mess up somehow and be separated from God, but to live with confidence that God is with me and God is for me. And God's got a plan and a purpose for my life. And I can share. I mean, Peter messed up. He made some mistakes. But man, by the end of his life, this guy is a spiritual leader. But it wasn't the works that saved him, it was Jesus that saved him. And for us to know that, hey, look, your commitment to Jesus impacts eternity. I mean, really, it all comes down for us, this question, you know, what do you do with Jesus? Have you committed your life to Christ? Have you allowed him to come into your heart, your life? God's drawn you to himself. Are you a follower of Jesus? Because he impacts eternity. Listen, Jesus desires to turn the crowd into disciples. Jesus is great with the crowd. He, I mean, all these people coming, he's great. But, but his heartbeat is not just the crowd. His heartbeat is disciples. His heartbeat is people who will follow. Disciple means learner, learner. He, Jesus, appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to bear the good news, to share with others, to hope. Notice there's a difference between the crowds and the disciples. There's a difference. Right, it's not just everybody who knows about Jesus, right? He's saying, no, follow me, follow me. And there comes a time for every one of us, as God's drawn us to himself, that we step out. Step out of the crowd, follow Jesus. See, there is a call and a commitment with a disciple. There's a call, the call of God in your life, but there's a commitment that you make. Yes, I wanna follow, yes, I wanna trust, yes, I want to grow. I'm committed to Jesus. Hey, being a disciple of Jesus requires these things, right? Repentance. Repentance means this. You're going one way and you turn around. So that's what repentance. Like I'm living my life for myself, my goals, my dreams, my, my, me, 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 me. And I go, wait a minute. 
No, I want to live my life for God. God, I confess my sins. I give it to you. Forgive my sins. I'm coming. I'm repenting. I'm being restored and redeemed. Then there's dependence, right? I'm living dependent on God. You know, it's not just me trying to figure everything out. It's I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust. I'm going to read. I want to grow daily, given my life. And then there's engagement. I'm sending them out. I'm using them in their families and in their communities to make a difference, to engage. You know, if you go to the Titans game, there's a big crowd, right? I mean, there's a lot of people up in the stands and everybody's cheering. People even have jerseys on up there. You know, it's like there's a lot of people around. But there's a big difference between the crowd and then the people that are on the field playing the game. Right? The crowd goes home after the game and they go, it was a great game. That was fun. We won. Great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to get some snacks. I'm just going to hang out on the couch. The players, on the, man, they're down there high-fiving because they won the game and then they're getting treatment, right? Because they're sore. But then they're back out the next day. They're like, let's go. Let's go to practice. Let's do this thing. Let's get back at it. And I think for us as disciples, the goal of God is, man, we got to move out of the stands into the game to engage, to love, to live on purpose, to make an impact and to make a difference. Hey, through Jesus, we are a part of the family of God. We're a part of the family. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. As Christ followers, we are never alone. Isn't that awesome? God is with us and we have a family. Guys, you're never alone. <laughs> There's sometimes that I, I'll be praying and I'll just get down on my knees and, and, and sometimes when things are crazy or hard or things are going nuts and I'll, I'll just pray and, and I'll, I can hear this still small voice and it's just like God goes, I promise I'll never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> and you're like, that's right, let's go. You know, it's just like, you're, you're with me. I mean, well, what am I worried about? You know, God, you've got this. There's other times when, when things are challenging or whatever, and then you get a text or an email from somebody who's a brother or sister in Christ and, and somebody at church, and they just encourage you. And you're like, thanks, I needed that. I don't even know how you knew, but, but you did, and I needed that. We are never alone. Hey, we are no longer spiritual orphans when you're in Christ, but we have a spiritual family in God's church. And this is what Jesus was doing, this spiritual family. I love it. I love being here at Rolling Hills. I gotta tell you, I just get so excited about it. It's fantastic. And I encourage you, maybe you've been coming and checking things out for a little bit, but we have what we call partnership, where you join the church. Some churches call it membership, you know, but it, member or partner, you know, I mean, member, sometimes you can kind of think of a country club, like I'm a member of a club and everybody's there to serve me. But we say, you know, you're a partner. You're here to lock arms with other believers and make a difference in this community and in this world for Christ. And, and so I encourage you, maybe check out the partnership information class. Maybe come and say, hey, I'm ready to join. I'm ready to be a part of the church, of the body. But man, I want to engage. But here's the beautiful part, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ right here, but also around the world. And when you go to other countries and you go to worship at different churches and you're like, man, that's cool, that's awesome. And many of our brothers and sisters around the world, they go through persecution. They go through challenges, man. I mean, they're putting their lives on the line to go to church. You know, we drove there, it was a beautiful day. It was great. You know, we had air conditioning in our car. You know, they're like going to church wondering if people are gonna break in and like take them to prison because they're at church. And we pray for them. We have a kindred heart and a kindred spirit with them. Hey, we are grateful to God for our family of origin and for our spiritual family in Christ. And that's the beautiful part. See, maybe you grew up and you had a great 
family of origin. Hey, be thankful, right? Be thankful. If you had a great mom and dad, be thankful. If you didn't, I'm sorry, but also this, God makes a way. That's the church. And I grew up in a great church. I was so thankful my parents took me to church when I was a kid. And I had all these people who poured into me, you know. It was like having multiple moms and dads and people who were there and people who would counsel you and encourage you. And that's what church is. That's what it is. I, I love when see moms or dads baptizing their sons or their daughters. And there's like, a, I baptize you in the name of Jesus, right? As my daughter, but now my sister in Christ. As my son, but now my brother in Christ. We are a part of a family and we're here for one another. You know, Thursday night, we had a big men's event called Versus. And I know many of you guys were there and it was incredible. I mean, it was just awesome. 1,600 men uh, there at the Williamson Ag Center. And it was an amazing night. And, and toward the end, Tim Tebow was speaking and, and Tim came down and he said, all right, guys, if anybody here wants to accept Christ, you know, I want you to, to raise your hand. And, and there were guys that were raising their hands. And he goes, okay, here's the thing. Now I want you to step out. Step out of the crowd, right? And come forward as a disciple. Come forward. Come up here and, and just in front of everybody, in front of 1,600 men, right? I got this email. There was a, a young mom who was, who was at the event. She was volunteering. There were a few women there helping out, you know, because guys, we need help, you know. But so they, she was there helping out. And, and she emailed me the next morning and she just said, good morning, Pastor Jeff. She said, wow, with five exclamation points, you know. She said, I don't really have a lot of words right now to even begin to process what happened last night with my dad. My 73-year-old dad just accepted Jesus into his heart. He's been trying to do it all by himself for his entire life. So many answered prayers. Even though this was meant for men last night, God was not gonna allow me to miss this moment. My friend said to me last week, Jill, I truly believe that God opened the door for your entire family to move from Florida to Tennessee in the last four years to be saved. I couldn't agree more with that statement. Ryan and I decided to accept Jesus into our hearts two and a half years ago. My sister decided just a few weeks ago, and now my dad. <laughs> and in all caps, overwhelmed with joy. God has been moving in a big way in my family, and I just can't say enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that God is doing through Rolling Hills. And somebody was there that night, and they captured this on video. And you could just see as men started to come down and and I want you to see right here is David, 73, coming and just saying, I've given my life to Christ. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus at 73. I'm stepping out of the crowd and I'm coming forward. And I'm making a decision, a commitment right here to Jesus. You can see Tony right there. That's his neighbor. Tony giving his life to Christ. He was sitting right there at the 8 o'clock service and saying, man, I'm still on fire for what God's doing. It's like 30, 40 guys just coming down saying, I want to follow Jesus. That's life change, you guys. That's eternity. And I want to tell you, that's what God wants to do in every one of our lives. And then God wants us to share that good news. Not just keep it to ourselves, but to let people know what God's doing in this world and what God wants to do in their life. Listen, I don't know where you are today, but I know God's here. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Just for a moment. Maybe today God's speaking to you. Maybe today God's calling you to, to commit your life to Christ. Not just be a part of the crowd, but to be a disciple, 
to follow, to trust, to experience the joy and the peace and the purpose that God has. Right now, today, would you repent? Would you just say, I want to give my sins over to God and I want to follow. I want to follow. Right where you are, pray this. Jesus, come be the Lord of my life. Come be the Lord of my life. I give you my struggles. I give you my fears. I give you my sins. Bring healing and hope in my life. I don't want to just be a crowd. I want to be a disciple. Maybe God's been speaking to you about being baptized, you know, making that public. Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. And maybe for you, God's saying, hey, it's time to step out. Maybe God's been saying to you, you know, it's time to join the church, lock arms with other believers. Or maybe God's been speaking to you about your marriage or, or with your kids or with your roommates. What's God saying to you today? Just like Jesus called those disciples by name, he's calling you by name. Right here, right now. He's calling you by name. And what's he saying to you? So Father, here we are. God, we need you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. I pray that our hearts wouldn't be stubborn, that we wouldn't put up walls, that we'd be open to hear of your love and your grace. And we would respond to you, Father. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. And the hope that we have in Christ. And that this world is not all that there is, that there is more to come, that heaven awaits because of your grace. So God, we respond right now to your goodness. Thank you, God, for what you've done in our lives. For however long we've been a disciple, God, you have always been faithful, always been faithful, and you always will be. So God, all glory to you. Inhabit the praises of your people, Father, as we respond and worship right now. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.